right now I'm walking through the ancient streets of the old city, Jerusalem. And it was built upon the foundations of many other cultures from many other times. And it's a lot like our faith. Our faith has come down to us through the stories, the events, and the lives of other people that God has used. And so in this series, we're inviting you to walk along with us as we look at those ancient foundations for our faith. This series is called Origins. So good to see you. Thanks for being here. For those of you at Northridge Brighton Hall and Northridge Ann Arbor Celine, glad to have you as well. And all of you watching Northridge On Demand, it's great to have you here. And I'm going to, full disclosure, I have been really, really sick. How many of you have been sick lately? Any of you? Yeah, so um, we're going to muddle through this thing. You'll have to forgive me if, you know, I choke and I cough and do all that stuff. It's just going to be for pity. It's just going to be for sympathy. And... Um, haven't been getting enough of it at home. So we are, we are in a series called Origins. And this weekend, we're going to take a look at how the origins of our faith help us to understand what really does last and what doesn't last in this world. And I don't know how many of you do much introspection on things more philosophical, but, but I tend to do a lot of it. And I think a lot of in terms of legacy, what our lives are being lived for, what about our lives is going to ultimately last. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but every single person who's ever lived and every single person alive today has a legacy. I mean, something they're known for by those who know them, whether it's good or bad, it's their legacy. I I, want to give you some examples. Here's the first. Was his legacy good or bad? But you know it. How about this? Good for most of us. The 16th president freed slaves, won the Civil War, and I say for most of us because you Southerners, you just lost. It's just over for you. It's uh, unbelievable. Next Good. His dream has changed our country and is still alive today. How about this lady? Good. Compassion for the poor. How about this man? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And how about this last one? 
Come on. If you don't have a phone made by this guy, you don't have a phone. I mean, that's just... I mean, people were lining up all around the world for this guy's phone, and he's no longer with us. And so you determine the legacy. Certainly known. I didn't have to say their names. I didn't have to tell you who these people were. I didn't have to tell you what they were known for. You knew, and you knew whether you thought it was for good or for bad. But here's the fact. It's not just famous people now long dead who have legacies. The fact is that every single one of us here right now listening to this talk has a legacy. And that legacy is built by the choices that we've made in our lives. Now, here's the good news. As long as we're living, our bad choices that have left bad legacies can be changed. Our failures don't have to be final. We, we as long as we're alive, can start making different choices that make different legacies for the way in which we live. But one day, our choices will be over. Our legacy will be set. So while we can we need to make sure that we're making the right choices that lead to the right legacies. And so this weekend, as we continue in this series, Origins, we're going to look at the different legacies of two kings and two kingdoms. We're going to go all the way back into the day of Jesus, and we're going to see that all of life was defined by two stories. I mean, it tells the whole story. It tells our story, two kings and two kingdoms. They're found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, usually read around Christmas, but relevant even when it's not Christmas. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, though it's not said, it's a well-known fact of that day, that King Herod was known as the king of the Jews. It was his coveted title. It was a title he fought for and he killed for. And then all of a sudden, we find another king of the Jews being mentioned. Jesus, two kings, two kingdoms. The first king, the first kingdom, Herod, Herod's kingdom. The second, Jesus, Jesus' kingdom. But let's start with Herod. And I'm going to define right up front. I mean, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to tell you the, the lead at the very beginning. Herod was a man who had everything, but still had nothing. That's the first king, the first kingdom. He had everything, and he still had nothing. And what I want to do is I just want to, want to take you back. I want to help you to see the context of the story of Herod so that you can really understand what his kingdom was about and how it's still relevant today in our lives. We're still tempted by his story today. He was a man of wealth. He was a man of palaces. He was a man of power. And what many don't know is he was a man of unbelievable genius. He was an inventor, a creator, an innovator. I just want to show you some pictures that will help us get you there. And by understanding his context, it'll be key to understanding his story. The, the first is a place called Masada. Masada. This was what it looked like originally on top of a mountain, a three-tiered palace. It doesn't do it justice because it's a model. But let me show you the present-day view of the ruins of Masada. On top of this huge mountain in the middle of the Judean wilderness, 
right near the Salt Sea, Herod built a palace. It, it shows his genius and it shows his power and it shows his wealth. When you think about this, I've, I've climbed Masada. I don't know how many of you have ever had the privilege of doing that. Some who've traveled on our teams have. I've climbed Masada. In fact, I've kind of jogged up Masada. And it is an unbelievable, unbelievable climb. And it's hot. We've never been there when it wasn't like 100 degrees up there. 100. And that's kind of light. It can be up to 130 degrees. It's hot, hot, hot. And the only water around is the Salt Sea. Now, if you know anything about the Salt Sea, but it's 33% more salt in it than the average ocean. And so if you drink it, you die. You can't drink that. When we go up Masada, we have to have two water bottles filled and we fill them multiple times while we're going up and while we're up there and before we come down. It is unbelievable. And what did King Herod do? He had Masada, this huge palace built on top of the mountain. I mean, huge marble pillars, huge marble columns, huge marble floors, mosaics of all kinds. How did he get them up there? It's just a matter of genius and innovation and power and prosperity and the ability to think it through. He not only built a palace, but he actually turned it into an oasis in the middle of this desert, this hot and arid place where there was no water literally no water except when it rained and then they would have floods. He created geniusly an aqueduct system that would capture the rainwaters where it would fall down and it went up and he literally had cisterns dug in the mountain of Masada that were the size of houses where this water would store and in the middle of the desert where there was no water he had a palace on the top of this mountain where he had freshwater pools, he had hot water baths, and he had as much fresh water as anyone would ever want. This man had the power to change the world. He lived by this principle, go big or go, bo- go home. Most people would look at that mountain and they'd say, I don't want to climb it. I know this for a fact because everyone I've taken with me basically says, I don't want to climb it. I'll take the gondola. And yet he built a palace on it. It just shows some of his wealth and genius. But Masada is not his only accomplishment. Then there was Mykerus. It's the next city. This is the palace of King Herod that was in now modern-day Jordan where he actually had John the Baptist beheaded. That's another one of his palaces, just another little small summer cottage of his that he could go to when he wasn't someplace else. Then we move to another great building project of King Herod, the Temple Mount. This is the Mykerus in Jordan rubble. But go to the next picture. It's the Temple Mount. This is what it looked like in old-time Jerusalem where Jesus would have been and where the Holy of Holies would have been. This is modern-day Jerusalem and what's left of the temple that Herod built. That's the Western Wall that you'd be familiar with. And I'm going to tell you, this is a, a, a feat of engineering history that still blows the mind of people today. Mathematicians still cannot figure out how in a day without technology like we have he could have had this thing built because there are stones in the walls of the temple that weigh up to 600 tons. One stone, the weight of 200 elephants. How'd they do it? Where'd it come from? And yet he had this thing done. It is genius. 
Then there was another great building project of his called the Herodium, or the Herodian, either is correct. And it's where he moved a mountain. We talked about this in one of the previous talks. And he built this unbelievable mansion place near Bethlehem to oversee his kingdom, where he was the king of the Jews. He moved a mountain. And then you can see the, today's view. I've climbed up this. In fact, we were on top of the Herodium about a week after they found King Herod's, Herod the Great's tomb in the Herodium here. It's a real place that he built. He had one project after another after another that's like boggling to the mind. But the place Herod built that stands above the rest to me is the one that I want to take you to via video this weekend. I'm standing in what was once a massive palace, not measured by square feet, but by acres. It's called Caesarea. In fact, Josephus, who wrote histories of the time of Jesus, said that there had never been a palace built like it before. It had a freshwater swimming pool in the ocean, a man-made harbor that held 300 ships of the day. This was one massive palace and one massive port. The entire city, the theater, his palace, the Hippodrome, which was where their games were played. Every building, every part of it, was veneered in white polished marble from all around the world. You couldn't even look at it in the daytime, it shone so brightly. From the sea, it looked like the sun was setting. So grand was this palace that even Rome was impressed. Herod the Great is the one who built it. And he built it so people would know how great he was. And where is it today? Well, I'm holding a piece of that polished marble that once covered the city and made it look glorious. I found it on the beach in the Mediterranean. This is what it's come to. He spent his whole life for this, and now it's nothing. I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are we living for? What lasts, and what does it matter when it does? In the Hippodrome that you saw in that video, they actually hosted the Olympics back then. And today, in modern-day Olympics, we give out three awards for the top three finishers, right? Gold, silver, bronze. Herod the Great was the first one to ever come up with the idea of rewarding not just the winner, but the second and third person. He's a person that really still influences us in this temporary world of ours in some of those ways. The, the city Caesarea was impressive even to Rome. He, he built a man-made harbor. Man-made. Back in the day before all of our technology, he devised a plan to create walls that were poured from the surface all the way to the ocean floor, 100 feet depth in some places, and literally built a harbor that could hold 300 ships. It'd be remarkable today. It's just mind-boggling when you think about what he did. Bottom line, this guy was inventive. He was amazingly talented. He was successful. He became rich and he became powerful. He had everything this world affords. He had, he had everything that most people, most of us, every day dream about, long for, and live for. And yet, he was always small. He was always jealous. He was always lonely. And he was always a fearful man.
He never, ever experienced what he was looking for, fullness. He only knew emptiness. I, I wanna show you a verse that describes his whole world. Matthew chapter two, verse 16. When Herod the Great realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, they didn't come back and tell him where Jesus was. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and all of its surrounding region who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi that Jesus would have been born. He killed every two-year-old boy and down to do what? To protect his power, to protect his position, to protect what he had. He lived in fear of losing what he had, so much so that he executed his wife in a jealous rage and his son to keep his power. He knew no one loved him in his world. So towards the end of his life, he imprisoned some of the most popular people in the world of that day with the command that when he died, they were to be executed because he knew no one would weep at his death. He wanted there to be weeping when he died. And so he was going to mass murder other people so there would be grieving in the streets on the day he died. This was a small man. And he simply bears out the teaching of Jesus in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, where Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And I'm going to tell you, context is key to understanding. In all of Jesus' teaching, he's really comparing himself to Herod the Great, the kingdom of Herod, the kingdom of man. He literally lays down his kingdom as antithetical to that of the kingdom of Herod. And when he's talking about what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, he could have just said, what good is it to be King Herod? You can have everything and you can still have nothing. That's the first king. That's the first kingdom. That's the one that's most representative in our world today. But there's a second king and a second kingdom, Jesus and Jesus' kingdom. And unlike Herod, He had nothing. Jesus had nothing, but he still had everything. I mean, all you have to do is juxtapose the two. Jesus had nothing. Born so poor that he had to be put in an animal trough as a baby, wrapped in rags. Look at how he said it himself in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. (laughs) We just went through a bunch of pictures. And I want you to know, my whole goal, the whole goal here is to say, King Herod had everything and had nothing. Jesus had nothing and had everything. So here's Jesus. There's no room for him in the inn. You know the story. He's laid in an animal trough in rags, born to impoverished parents on the run. And here's Herod. You know, he probably couldn't get to all of his homes in a year. Lavish, lavish, lavish lifestyle. And yet, Herod had nothing, and Jesus had everything. Weird. Look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now juxtapose that with Herod. Herod would kill his wives, would kill his son, would kill anyone in the world in order to keep the world serving him. And Jesus was willing to give his life in order to give life to everyone else in the world. And that's why God the Father in Matthew 3.17 said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Jesus, he had nothing and still had everything. So I just wanna simply contrast the differences for you. 
because context is the key to understanding. You want to know what Jesus offers? Exactly opposite of what Herod had. Do you want to know what it means to follow Jesus? Exactly the opposite of what it means to follow Herod. And yet many of us claim to be following Jesus, but we are living a little bit closer to Herod. Here's the difference. Herod lived in palaces. Jesus, no place to lay his head. Herod, rich. Jesus, poor. In fact, one of the stories I love in the Bible is in Matthew 17. Herod built the temple. I showed you the temple. And there were temple taxes and all this different stuff. Jesus didn't even have money to pay his temple taxes. Herod collected the taxes. Herod, you know, built this thing. And so Jesus had to send one of his disciples to go fishing. And he said, the first fish you catch, you'll find, a, you know, some money in there. That'll pay our temple taxes. I mean, that's how poor he was. Herod, rich toward man. Jesus, rich toward God. Herod lived fearfully. All his life lived in fear. Jesus lived at peace, contented, faithful. Herod was always holding on to stuff. Jesus was always letting go of stuff. Herod built stuff with no concern for people. Jesus built people with no concern for stuff. Herod served himself. Jesus served others. Herod was never satisfied. Jesus was always satisfied. Herod was hated by those closest to him. His own family despised the ground he walked on. Jesus was loved by those closest to him. The more you knew him, the more you loved him. And so the legacy that left was very different. Herod's temporary, meaningless at the end. Jesus, eternal. Now all of that sets the context for this truth. We get to choose our king. And we get to choose our kingdom. We get to choose. Now before Jesus came, there really wasn't a choice. There was only the kingdom of man. You had to climb over the back of other people to get ahead or... You lost. That was all there was. When Jesus introduced the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus introduced his kingdom, he was saying, God's now given you a choice. You can choose your king. You can choose your kingdom. Let me put it another way. We get to choose our legacy. We get to choose whether our life matters or doesn't matter, whether it lasts or doesn't last. Let me just give you one of the passages where Jesus says it. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 and 24. And it's all about giving us a choice. Who our king will be, what our kingdom will be. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so in that passage, we have two kings and two kingdoms. We have the kingdom that stores up stuff that rots. This is the piece of marble I found in the Mediterranean, right there on the coastline of old ancient Caesarea. And uh, this is all that's left of everything he spent his life building. It's ridiculous. It's floating. Well, excuse me, it really wasn't floating. It was on the bottom of the sea. Meaningless. It used to represent the glow of a city that was dominant in the world. And now it's nothing. King Herod lived his entire life for treasures where rust destroys, where moth destroys, where thieves break in and steal. Jesus lived his whole life 
for the kingdom where treasures last forever. Herod lived his whole life for material things, for money. That was his king. Jesus lived his whole life for God. And we get to choose. Herod or Jesus? Which king? Which kingdom? Do we want the one that's out of reach? The one that very few can ever achieve? Like Herod the Great, and when they achieve it, they achieve nothing because they have everything and they still have nothing? Or do we want the kingdom and the king that's within our reach, available to all? Do we want the one that's temporary, that really is meaningless in the end, or the one that's eternal? Do we want the one that values stuff or people, the one that leads to emptiness or fullness? Now, before you get too brass in your answer, because I, I'm like you, I sit in context like this and I'm going, well, I want the good one, man. I, I want the good one. The truth is, what I say I want and what I live for are two different things. Here's the reality that I see, biblically, my own life, many of yours. Though we don't claim it, though we don't say it out loud, most of us choose to follow Herod rather than Jesus. Now, we don't sing Herod songs. I've never heard anyone say, I have decided to follow Herod. I've never heard you sing that. But we do it by our lives, by our choices. We have to choose Herod or Jesus. Most choose Herod. Most people are living their entire lives, giving their souls for worthless garbage that will end up at the bottom of an ocean somewhere. Jesus even said it in Matthew twenty-two fourteen: for many are called but few are chosen. God calls everyone, few choose him. It's just the way the world is. And what's really sad to me is that most of us get up every day, live our lives, make our choices, determine our legacies, and we never even think about what we're living for. As an example, we went around our region and we did a man on the street interview Here's what we found. All right, so what, what is it that you live for? What do I live for? That's a good question. Um, I live for my own goals, I guess, my own aspirations. It changes on a weekly basis. I live for uh, good food, uh, work, my children. My kids and my grandkids. Uh, I have no idea. I don't really know. I would say I just kind of live life a day at a time. Rock and roll, man. That's it. Rock and roll. I'm making art for expressing myself and just getting myself, putting my energy out there in the world. I like making money, I'll admit that. So um, I just really want to do well. I live to be happy. I live for myself to do something great and achieve success and to be somebody and not nobody. When you're done with this life, what do you hope to leave behind? Hmm. That's a good question. I have no idea. You haven't thought about it at all? No, not really. Uh... Um, I don't know. I just want to be in heaven. <laughs> That's all. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Good question. Good question. I hadn't really thought about it. I don't intend to die. Um, I think everyone wants to make an impact, but I have no delusions. So, you know, as long as everybody looks back and says, oh, he was a cool guy, I think I'm cool with that. 
That's crazy, right? I mean, whether we're thinking about it or not, we're building a legacy. Whether we're thinking about it or not, we're making choices that are determining what our legacy is. One like Herod's that doesn't last, that doesn't matter if it does, or one like Jesus that lasts forever and always matters. And it all boils down to what we choose. And so I, I just have to tell you, the first time that I went to Israel, I was impacted as much by the life of King Herod as by anything else I experienced there. Because I never had really understood the point of this guy's life. I had never understood the fact that he served as the illustration of how almost all of us live our lives today. Never understood it. And so that first time I was in Caesarea, I brought back a smaller piece of marble. It still sits on my administrative desk today. And on top of that, I have a, a stone from the River Jordan to rep- represent the Jesus side of the story and how Jesus can transform my life. And my whole life has kind of taken a different direction since then. And every time I go back, it gets refreshed. And my hope for this talk was simply to build the concept that so impacted me that very first time I was there, this idea that, that there are two kings and two kingdoms And we've been given the privilege to choose which king will follow, which kingdom will be a part of building. And though we sing Jesus songs and we talk about Jesus' story and we sit in Jesus' places like this, most of us, we're still, most of us, following Herod more than we're following Jesus. We're still living for the temporary. Most of our prayers are invested in the temporary. Most of our... Our personal energies invest in the temporary. Most of our dreams are in the temporary. Most of our goals are in the temporary. Most of the things that we compromise for are in the temporary. And it's just crazy. And so the whole application for me when I went to Israel for the first time becomes the whole application for this talk this weekend, and it's simply this. In light of the fact that there are two kings and two kingdoms, and we get to choose which one we'll be a part of, we need to make the right choice. We need to think about it. We need to get intentional. We need to understand that every day we're making choices that are leading to the legacy of our lives and we need to make the right choice. And you need to know our choice isn't this once and for all decision. I mean, I wish it was. I I just really wish it all went back to, oh, that first time I was in Israel, man, oh, dear Jesus, I wanna be like you and not like King Herod, done, all over. It's not that way. The truth is, this isn't a once-for-all decision. This is a decision that's made every single day of our lives in the way we live our lives, in the small and big choices we make. We're either wearing down a legacy that ultimately won't matter or building up a legacy that will. We need to make the right choice. And so I just wanted to work through with you the things I've had to work through in my life. What does the right choice involve. And I'm going to tell you it involves everything opposite of King Herod and everything in line with Jesus. What does it involve? If you're going to make the right choice, it involves choosing to love and live for God like Jesus did instead of choosing to love and live for yourself like Herod did. Choosing to love and live for God. Look at Matthew 22, verses 36 and 37. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Some guy asked, and this is what Jesus replied. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
Now, all you have to do is look at Herod's life and you know who he loved. It's not because he had big homes. You can have big homes and love God. It's because he was willing to kill people to keep his power. He was willing to use people to get his wealth. Jesus was willing to give his life. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Choosing to love and live for God like Jesus did is essential to making the right choices. But if you're going to do that, it's a daily decision. And I don't know about you, but I can go day after day after day and never even think about him. So can you. Which means we're making the wrong choice. We're living for the wrong king, the wrong kingdom. Uh, Making the right choice involves choosing to love and live for others. Choosing to love and live for others like Jesus did instead of, once again, choosing to love and live at the expense of others like Herod did. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus tells this great story and he says, The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Jesus says, you want to know what the difference between those who are my people and those who aren't my people is? It'll ultimately be seen in the character of their lives, those who are my sheep will be people who did serve the least of the people, the poor, the hurting, people in prison, and those who aren't my sheep, the goats, will be people who live for themselves. It's Herod or Jesus, Herod's kingdom or Jesus' kingdom, choosing to love and live for others. You and I can go day after day after day and make no decision that values someone else. It only values ourselves. And when we were in Israel, Israel just offers so many different life lessons. Um, We learned about a tamarisk tree. Actually, I have a picture of a tamarisk tree. It's a a deep-rooted tree that can tolerate harsh and arid conditions. It survives and provides shade and even nutrition in the desert. But the interesting thing about the tamarisk tree is that it only grows one foot in diameter every 500 years. One foot in diameter every 500 years. Here's the point. No one would ever plant a tamarisk tree to enjoy for themselves. The only people to ever plant a tamarisk tree are people who saw ahead and said, this is for my family, this is for my city, these are for the people I care about. They're thinking of others. You plant it for others. And the reason there are so few tamarisk trees is because there are so few people who, like Jesus, say, hey, I'm living for others. It's not about an investment in me. It's about an investment in other people. And the same thing is true in our world today. How few of us are planting tamarisk trees? How few of us are choosing to follow Jesus the King and building his kingdom? Because so few are choosing to love and live for others like he did. If we're going to make the right choice, instead of singing about Jesus but following Herod, really following Jesus... It demands choosing to love and live for God's word like Jesus did instead of what we want. We're in a world that basically says, you know, I'll accept the parts of the Bible that I agree with and I'll reject the parts of the Bible that I don't. I'll accept, you know, his basis for morality when it works for me and then I'll reject it when it doesn't work for me. But Jesus stood on it whether it led to good things in his dreams or bad things in his dreams because he knew God's truth was the only foundation that would ultimately last. Everything else is sinking sand. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. 
I'm gonna tell you once again, context is key to understanding everything biblically and all you have to do is once again, think King Herod. Even the King Herods of this world are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But God's word, that lasts forever. And yet many of us don't make choices based upon God's word. We make choices based upon what's gonna work. Right? The right choice to follow Jesus demands loving his word more than anything else. There's another principle. If we're gonna really make the right choices, it demands choosing to love and live for God's desires, for God's will, like Jesus did, instead of for our own desires and will, like Herod did. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. I mean, this is why I keep a piece of marble on my desk. The things that I desire lead to this. It's a piece of garbage that a man wasted his life to build. And I don't wanna be like that man. I want what I do to mean something forever. The will of God is the only thing that ultimately matters forever. So on a daily basis, if I'm choosing God's will, I'm choosing that which creates a positive legacy. If I'm choosing my will, I am choosing that which creates a negative legacy. And finally, as I look at it, if I'm going to make the right choice, if you're gonna make the right choice, then it demands choosing to live and love the unseen, to love and live for the unseen like Jesus did. 2 Corinthians 4.18, look what it says. It says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what's seen, that's just temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. The problem with King Herod is he lived for stuff that was seen. You want an explanation for how Jesus could look at the palaces of Herod and say, I'd rather have no home than have those homes? It was because Jesus lived for the unseen. He didn't need what humans need to be seen as something in this world. He only needed God, and that's where we need to be. And so this is what forges the questions and then the tough answers in my life. I have to ask myself, and I wanna ask you this weekend, how have you been choosing to live lately? How have you been choosing to live lately? Have you been choosing to live and, and to love, live for and love God's will? Have you been choosing to love and live for the unseen? Have you been choosing to love and live for God's word and for others and for God himself? Or has it been a little bit more self-directed? What, what have you been choosing to live for lately? I mean, what would you say is at the core? Now, if your answers are like the people in that street video, then you're making the wrong choices because unintentionally you will make the wrong choices every time. Every day we have to think, what am I living for? Which king, which kingdom? And then let me ask this last question. Who have you really been following, Herod or Jesus? If Herod, it doesn't matter. If Jesus, it'll matter forever. Joshua, great leader in the Old Testament, confronted God's people one time because like all times in all seasons, the majority of people follow Herod instead of Jesus. And they were a bunch of people who talked a big talk and sang the right songs, but they didn't live the right lives. And this is what he said in Joshua 24, verse 15. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, hey, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Go ahead, follow the Herods of this world. 
But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I just want to challenge you here. If you decide that you're going to serve the Lord, follow Jesus instead of follow Herod, you're always going to be in the minority. You just are. People only understand this. They don't understand that. But that's okay because, see, it's the people who are in the minority that will ultimately change the world forever. It's worth, it's worth the choice and the commitment. And so I just really want to encourage you in this conversation to think through who you're following and to make decisions about who you're going to follow. Choose the right one to follow. Live for the right king. Build the right kingdom and you won't regret it for the rest of your lives. Here's what I want you to see just before I kind of lead you in a prayer. I want you to see what following Jesus leads to versus what following Herod leads to. Following Jesus leads to a life worth living. Who doesn't want that? Following Jesus leads to a legacy, a legacy worth leaving. We're all gonna have a legacy, but is it worth leaving? And following Jesus leads to a treasure that lasts forever instead of one that becomes garbage at the bottom of a sea. Following Jesus. Two kings, two kingdoms. Herod or Jesus. Which one are you following? Just before we end the service, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer. Would you do that? I want to encourage those of you at Northridge Brighton Howell and Ann Arbor Selene to do the same. And if you're watching Northridge On Demand, you as well. Just engage this for a minute. This talk, this weekend is for believers as much as it is for unbelievers. This talk this weekend, I believe, is for those of us who have already proclaimed that we're following Jesus, that he's our God, that he's our king. And yet, if you're like me, when you really look at the reality of how Herod lived his life versus Jesus, you're gonna see a little bit too much of Herod in your life and a little bit too little of Jesus in your life. And I just really wanna challenge you believers to go back and introspect and evaluate and recommit to following the only one who matters and the only one who will leave, help you leave a legacy that matters. But I believe there are some of you here this weekend listening to this talk and you've never even taken the step, the step to put your faith in Jesus. I'm gonna tell you, it's the only step worth taking because Jesus lived the life of perfection that we've all failed to live and then he died the death of our failures on that cross and then he rose again so that we might be transformed into children of God. But you have to trust him. And I just want to encourage you if you've never taken that step to take that step with me right now. And so as we pray, I just encourage you to in your heart embrace my words but make them your own to God and just say, God, I don't want to follow Herod. I want to follow Jesus. But by nature... I've been living for myself and not you. Serving myself and not others. I, I really have failed. Built the wrong legacy. But in this moment, I'm asking Jesus that you would forgive me based upon your cross, your death for my sin. And that you'd give me new life based upon your resurrection. And I'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed with me, I just really want to encourage you. Let us know, would you? If you're in one of our live worship experiences, we have this program, and inside is a connection card. And all you have to do is rip that thing out, fill it out, 
And then on the bottom it says, today I prayed to receive Jesus. Check off that circle. And then as you leave, there are boxes at every exit. Just drop it in one of those boxes. And we want to send you a letter about next steps that you can take in your relationship with God. And if you're watching Northridge On Demand, just hit the what next button and we'll do the same thing for you. But the key to remember is this. We get to choose our king and our kingdom. But very often we make the wrong choice by making no choice at all. Let's follow Jesus so that our legacy ultimately matters forever. Make sense? Understandable? All right. Now, time to go get more drugs for me in just a second. Uh, But before I do that, I I really want to encourage you in two ways if you're here. Um, The first, if you've never been to Discover Northridge or haven't been in a long time, it's been totally recrafted, this coming Friday we're having a Discover Northridge. It's a way that you can learn about our mission, our 16-word mission about what we're here for, what you're here for, and how we try and achieve it at Northridge Church. There's a dinner. It's a great time of community. And all you have to do to sign up is you can do it in the program. You can do it online. You can go to guest services. You can call the church. We'd love to have you here this coming Friday for Discover Northridge. But just as important as that, in fact, maybe even more, is that this Sunday night... Uh, tickets go on sale for the glory of Christmas. And uh, it's a big, big time of year. The glory of Christmas is coming up. Curiosity, how many of you have never been to the glory of Christmas? Raise your hand. Never been. Okay, there are some hands that have gone up. That means the rest of you have. If you've never been, you've got to come and you've got to invite. It's the only way you can get there. You've got to invite 20 people or else you can't come. All right. Um, For the rest of you, if you've already been, then you have to invite 40 people or you can't come. That's kind of the rule. Seriously, what we do here at Northridge is we live, our entire mission is to wake the world up to Jesus because Jesus is what the world needs. He's the only one that can provide hope and help and fullness and all of that. And uh, very often, though it's in our personal lives and the way we live, we show people his love, we tell them his truth, we try and involve them in the journey. As a church, we come together and we do big things that can really spur some momentum to invite people to wake up to Jesus. The glory of Christmas is one of those big events. And before we release the, publics to, uh, public, uh, the tickets to public sale, we always open up ticket sales to Northridge family first. And the reason isn't because we're wanting to be selfish and only Northridge people to come. The reason is because we want you to buy tickets for the people who really need to meet Jesus. We don't want this just to become a great Fox Theater event where all the churches in our community kind of come in and they, you know, clap for the Jesus they already know. We want this to be an event where we sacrifice to buy tickets for people whom we know desperately need to discover the reality and hope of Jesus, and then we get them here. And every year, we have about 80% new people attending the glory of Christmas. There'll be about 30,000 people here this year, and the only way that happens is if you reach out and do it. And so, starting this Sunday night, information's in your programs. It's going to be on the screens. You can find it online. Starting this Sunday night, please, please... Let's start sacrificing in major ways to buy tickets for people who desperately need to hear about the love of Jesus. And I promise this year's glory of Christmas is going to be out of this world. And together, we'll be able to wake the world up to Jesus, right? See everybody. Thank you.